You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. I love that part. I just want to imagine how that really went down, you know. Me walk into your yard. Hey, I need your car. I'll bring it back. Don't worry about it. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of them, uh, some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. Okay. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right, we read this passage and oftentimes we focus on all kinds of things, the palm branches, the shouting of Hosanna, which is more or less an ancient way of saying hallelujah. Um, But these kind of things, you know, we often get caught up in those. We sing them in our songs all the time. And and sometimes we kind of like forget, like, what is Palm Sunday actually about? It's about spreading a bunch of palm trees on the ground and all these different kinds of things. Uh, It's about Jesus as king. And this weird some of us out a little bit because it's like, well, hasn't Jesus always been king? I mean, God is king, right? Yeah, of course. God has created all things. He is in charge of the entire cosmos. There is nothing that exists that does not exist outside of him. Everything has its state of being within him. His spirit has created all things. But the world has been thrown into chaos. And when we take a close look at the fuller portrait of the Bible in this world, we actually see that a lot of things are really messed up. And that things do not always operate as though God is king. And that is in part because while he is theologically king, the world has been screwed up by Satan. At the beginning of our story in the Bible, there's God with humanity And humanity, instead of following the one true God, gives themselves over to a little G-God, another spiritual being in the garden. A cherubim is what Ezekiel is going to call him. That's another kind of angel. Though he looks more like a seraphim, which is a snake-like kind of angel. And he seems to be guarding a sacred part in the garden. Because where God is, there his heavenly hosts are. So here, in the Garden of Eden, where God is, because he walks around in the wind of the day... There is heavenly hosts are. And one of these heavenly hosts seems to be guarding a tree or something of that sort. This heavenly host is in a bad mood. 
This heavenly host is not on God's side. In fact, it invites them, instead of getting wisdom from God, instead of waiting to do it his way, instead of waiting till God says one day, all right, now you can eat from that tree. God, uh, this this serpent-like angelic being of sorts, tries to convince humanity to go a different route. You know what? Did God really say, like, you can't eat from this? I mean, you, you could, right? I mean, is it, is it going to be that bad? And, you know, you could think of all the different ways in which you might try to play that trick. In C.S. Lewis's sci-fi novel, Paralandra, instead of it being like one paragraph where Eve gives in, it's like the entire book. That every day, the Eve in Paralandra wakes up and is like, he's made another good argument. He's made another good argument. He's made another good argument. For like 200 pages until finally, well, in that case... Their Eve actually does the right thing. (laughs) But in this case, our Adam and Eve do not. They buy in to another spiritual being's lies. He's twisted the truth. Jesus says that Satan has been a liar and a murderer since the beginning. There is no truth found in him. And when we look at the beginning, we see him doing just that. Lying, cheating, setting us up for death. In fact, Hebrews is more or less going to call Satan the Lord of death. Paul is more or less going to call Satan the little G God of this world. Satan himself is going to take Jesus up on a mountain, show him all the countries, all the nations of the world, and say, hey, you want all that? Because I got it. You want, to, you want to be king of the world, right? You want to rule over everything. Well, Satan here, little G God of this world. It's all under my control. You want it? All the dead, they go to me. You want that? And so Satan tempts Jesus. It's a temptation. Things that are like not tempting are not called temptations. (laughs) Jesus is tempted by Satan. You could go another way. I don't know that Satan understands that the cross is, is the way that Jesus is headed. Because Paul says that if Satan ever knew what he was doing with Jesus on the cross, he would have never put Jesus on the cross. But Satan knows something's up. So he's like, you want, you want the world, right? You want the moon. I'll give you the moon. You want to throw a lasso around it, pull it down. I'll give it all to you. Whatever you want, I'll hand it right over to you. Satan's temptation is all you got to do is bow down and worship me. This temptation is going to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. In fact, I would say that this is the strongest temptation that Jesus faces in the Gospels, if you pay close attention. It's like the peak of temptations. First one is, you're hungry, right? Turn these rocks into bread. And he keeps moving up until finally he takes them up on a mountain. Look at everything. You want this. You know it's under my control. When humanity decided to worship me instead, when they bowed down before the creature instead of the creator, I got in charge. You want the keys of death, right? They're right here, hanging on a chain around my neck. You want that? I can give that to you. Come on, Jesus. It's not that hard. Just worship me. Human after human after human has fallen into this lie, starting in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus does not fall for it. But he is tempted. And as you continue to watch Jesus' story to become king of the world in a satanic way, you see it continue to play out. Peter at one point. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, look, I'm going to die. This is part of how this is going to go down. And Peter stops him. He's like, far be it from you, Lord. You're going to die. No, that will never happen to you. 
Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, to which Jesus then responds, Get behind me, Satan. Why does Jesus respond, Get behind me, Satan, to Peter? It's because the temptation is right there again. No, 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 Jesus, listen. There is another way than death on a cross. There is another way than going this lowly death route that you're talking about. Far be it from you, Jesus, you shall never die. You are the king of the world. And Jesus has to stop Peter in his tracks. I rebuke that, Satan. Get behind me. I'm not going to listen to that. Jesus sees the temptation again and he stops it. Same in the garden, not of Eden this time, but the garden of Gethsemane, which is trying to take us back to Eden. Just as Adam and Eve faced their temptation in the garden, so Jesus faces his temptation in the garden. But this time, humanity passes the test. The new Adam, Jesus himself, passes the test. Because again, you see Satan, he's got to be tempting him that night. Jesus is sweating drops of blood. That's how intense this has gotten. God, if there is any other way we could go about this, can we do it that way? But if not, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus in the garden facing the satanic logic. There might be another way, Jesus. Doesn't have to be the cross. What is your father setting you up for? But Jesus knows he's from a different kingdom. A kingdom where things don't make sense. A tipsy-topsy, turvy kingdom that's completely upside down that does not line up with our human ways of thinking. Because our human ways of thinking is demonic thinking. Instead of giving our mind over to God at the beginning, we gave it over to a serpent who has now been crowned above us. But Jesus has come with another kingdom. Saying, there was always a wisdom that you could have had. There was always a better way to live. It's not like God didn't want you humans to be wise. He would have given that to you in time or taught you over time. But you pursued it in a demonic route. So Jesus comes and says, let me show you the world that you missed out on. Let me show you what heaven's really like. Because heaven is where God dwells. Heaven is Eden. Heaven is the tabernacle. Heaven is the temple. Heaven is where God is. And where God is, there heaven is in the same space. And Jesus comes teaching us what true wisdom is. What heaven actually looks like. And it looks like the lowly. The people at the bottom actually being at the top. It looks like those who have actually given up a whole lot of things actually being the ones in heaven with the most stuff. It looks like those who have been generous with their money and have no money left are actually those who are loaded in the kingdom of heaven. It looks like children who are at the bottom of the social ladder in Jesus' time actually being the adults in that world. It looks like those who are gentle and meek are the ones who get the land, not the powerful and the violent. It looks like those who are mourning are actually those who are celebrating. It looks like those who are trying to be righteous and therefore have to cut themselves off from so many pleasures in this life that Satan tempts us with are actually the ones who are being fulfilled with all the things that they need and want. It looks like those 
who have decided not to hate and to turn vengeance over to God instead of taking it up themselves are actually those who are freed from all the oppression. It looks like those who are sick are those who are healed. It looks like those who died are actually those who conquered. Heaven is backwards. And you see it happening right on Palm Sunday. As the king of the entire cosmos, God in flesh himself, comes into Jerusalem, where God is supposed to dwell because this is his home, on a donkey, on a colt, on a humble steed. What kind of king is that? It's the backwards king of heaven. So many times Jesus had to flee from crowds because they wanted to make him king. But not king in the way that Jesus already is king. They wanted to make him king in a satanic kind of way. To give him power. To rise him up with all the riches. To put him on the throne. To kick out Caesar. To do all these things. And Jesus said, I will do all those things. But it's actually through humility. The lower you get down to the point of washing people's feet like a slave the higher you get on the ladder in heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven, and it was Jesus' favorite topic to talk about all throughout the Gospels. Heaven is not a place you go when you die. Heaven is on a moving truck trying to get here right now. And the way in which it does it is through your actions, through the things that you do. One day God will thrust it onto the earth in its fullness and kick Satan out in his fullness as he dies a death in the lake of fire along with everything else that belongs with him. God has promised that. But in this age right now, not the age to come, in this age right now, heaven moves in through your footsteps as you partner with Jesus to do it. And if we don't do it, but we live the apathetic pandemic Christianity that we saw the last few years, not just here, I just mean across the church in general, then we will not install heaven in Jackson. It is amazing that Palm Sunday is a slap in the face to the idea that we need kings and kingdoms, power and authority so we can thrust it over everyone, that Jesus slaps that in the face, comes in on a colt, and then backs away before they make him king because he's going to get become king on a cross. That's his way. It is amazing that that's what Palm Sunday is so hugely about. And then over the last few years, Christians have just become this giant banner of Trumpism that this is the way Jesus becomes king. Did we not listen to the Bible at all? Did we not pay attention to Jesus' messages at all? Did we not listen to the prophets? Even modern prophets. Mark A. Knoll wrote a book just a decade, two decades ago or so. He's a historian writing about if the church does not back away from these particular kinds of things that they're doing, this is what evangelism will become. He was right. It became that. Because we did not pay attention to the scriptures. It ends up 
That though in every church I've ever been in, we talk about, oh, the Jews just thought Jesus was going to become king in this way. What were they thinking? It ends up that we preach that without listening to ourselves. Because it's still how we live today. Christianity, where it's exploding across the world, is in the places where Christians are most oppressed. It's in the places where the tipsy-topsy-turvy kingdom of God is being practiced. Where things are backwards. Where kings start to realize, you know, we keep trying to squash these Christians, but every time we do, their blood becomes seed to create more Christians. What's going on here? It's because the kingdom of God is one of fire and backwards power. Where dying is conquering, where living lowly is living highly. Where the socioeconomic scales of all existence are backwards. Where those who have lived through the injustice that Satan has thrust upon them through the humans that have allowed him to in this life are actually the ones who are finding justice in the next. Palm Sunday is about Jesus as king. And so it becomes a big question for us. Where is Jesus not king in our lives? That's what we've prayed as we worship today. Because wherever he is not king, he's interested in breaking in. I spent the weekend in Chicago, and I don't know if you've ever walked with uh, four kids through busy streets of Chicago before, but it can get a little tense. And I found myself constantly angry to the point that like, I really had to like, back away and catch a breath. I remember at one point just thinking like, God, I'm just trying to protect my children and him correcting me. Just, you mean my children? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Jamin, how are you treating my children? The ones that I gave to you, those are my kids. I see I have not made you as king as you need to be in this particular area. God, help me work on this. I love to tell you that I did so much better after that, but I didn't. I'm still figuring it out. What's yours? Where is Jesus not king? Because if he's king in that area of your life, you will find that fruit is growing. That looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if you're allowing Satan to craft that with the human wisdom that he has always put on us, you're going to see things that lead to hatred, to deception, to lies, to murder. Because those are the chief end of where Satan leads all things. He is the Lord of death. And he is interested in bringing about death. Even if it's just the death of our morality, the death of our hearts, the death of our minds. And if we have no interest in making Jesus king, then we may not be practicing Christianity at all. For far too long, Christianity has been, if I think a certain way, I'm good and I get into heaven. That is not the gospel. Jesus is not a magic incantation that you speak out. I think I'm saved, therefore I am. Jesus is a lifestyle. Jesus is a king. 
That means you're his citizen. That means you live a certain way. That means you're his ambassador. That means you show the world who he is. And if those things are not interesting to you, then you need to step back and receive conviction. Jesus, I don't think I'm making you king fully. What do I need to do next? So Jesus, we come before you right now this Palm Sunday, recognizing that your world is backwards. So often we think that we get all the merit, all the glory by getting all these great achievements and awards, depending on the things that we do. But Jesus, you you said that you paid attention to things that no one else was paying attention to. And when we pray, we go in our prayer closet. We're not trying to impress other people. We're just trying to be with you. Jesus, you told us that if we are going to uh, take care of the poor, the hungry, the naked, thirsty, those imprisoned, when we do that, we have actually taken care of you. We practice heaven. And those things people don't notice. That stuff's going on in the background. There's no great reward often on those things on earth. There's great reward in heaven. May our lives be all about that. The way we live, the way we walk, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we talk to our friends, how we speak, how we represent you, how we enact our lives in social engagements, how we practice justice. For Christianity is all about Christ. So convict us. Be king over all the aspects of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.